partnership with the Treasure Site Areas Grey, welcome everybody to the Live from the Code Bar podcast, recorded from the Code Theme Bar of Fenwood Manor. I'm your guide on this adventure, Rob. On this show, I'm going to talk to you about the Basing House Hoard, a supposed treasure hidden by British loyalists during the English Civil War. Is it real, or is it just another treasure myth? Let's find out together. But first of all, I want to take some time to start off with some housekeeping as usual. I want to give a great big thank out, thank you to everyone who has downloaded and listened to the first season of the podcast and started on this second season as well. I did start this podcast to talk to you all about the hobby I love, treasure hunting, and uh, to know that there are others like me out there that are listening to this, uh, it's really something amazing, so thank you. I also want to give a great big shout out to the usuals. I want to thank Nick Spiro, who created the show's music, Robert Brewer, who did all the amazing artwork for me, my brother Stephen Jenner, my brilliant editor, Dustin and Deidre White, who have helped me promote the show and helped me look for treasure when I cannot go myself, and of course my treasure hunting team, Team Fortune, of Nick, Lisa, and Adam, who are the best team of treasure hunters ever. There are so many more people that I could mention, but that could always be a podcast all on its own, so for now, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages for more shoutouts. Now, onto the show. Just to the east of the town of Basingstoke, in southern England, lies the tiny brick cottage village of Basing, on the banks of the River Loden. The area has, long, has a long history, with Iron Age pottery having been found in the area, as well as many Roman coins. In the Saxon time periods, there was an old castle known in the Doomsday Books, and if you've never heard of the Doomsday Books, the Doomsday Book is a record of the Great Survey of much of England and part of Wales that was completed in 1086 by order of William the Conqueror as the Old Castle of Basing. And the Normans, of which William the Conqueror was their king, also had a castle on the site because they didn't want to waste the spot. They didn't want to waste the, the, the brick. Fast forward a few years and multiple generations, and then the Tudors are now in power. Now, this in the podcast isn't all about British history because you could go in forever on that sort of stuff. Uh, but uh, the Tudors were now in power, and this is when the site really started to reach its height of importance. New construction was started inside of the castle earthworks, so another castle wasn't being built. And this time, a new highly fortified mansion was being built, and it became known as the Basing House. It even had its own deep moat. Not filled with sharks or crocodiles, but a real-life moat to help protect it. Those things really did happen. Now, the Basing House was built under the direction of one of the 16th century's most long-lived and sometimes controversial public figure, Sir William Paulet. He was the first Marquis of Winchester. Sir William uh, had a long list of titles. They're extensive. He was the Household Controller and Lord Chamberlain to King Henry VIII, Lord Treasurer to Edward VI, as well as both Queen's Mary and Queen Elizabeth. He is attributed his longevity to behaving like a willow rather than an oak. And in 1531, he started building, to use his own words again, his poor house. Now, as treasurer to many of the two demonics, royal visits were not always uncommon at the 300-room mansion. And in fact, Queen Elizabeth I enjoyed a stay here in 1560, so much that she returned twice more in 1569 and 1601. King Edward VI, who was the monarch to bestow William with the Marquis of West Winchester in 1551, was also known to have visited the house in 1552, staying for three full days. Many uh, Marquis of Winchesters lived in and improved the house over the periods of time after the first original uh, Marquis. In fact, many other royals were also entertained in the house over the years, that sometimes part of the house actually had to be removed to pay for these expensive visits. Until just a century after the house was built, 
civil war erupted in England. The Paulet family were avid supporters of King Charles I when war broke out in 1642, causing parliamentary forces to repeatedly, repeatedly lay siege to the house. Not to mention that John Paulet, who was by now the fifth Marquis of Winchester and was the current owner of the house, was a strong Catholic in what was, at the time, a strictly Puritan country. So in 1642, under the leadership of Colonel Norton, the parliamentarians focused their attacks on, base, on the basing house. To better counter the approaching forces, King Charles I sent the Marquis a garrison as a show of his support, and in July, 1640, in, sorry, in July of 1642, under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Robert Peake, a hundred men met up with Sir Henry Bard and were able to defend the basing house. Colonel Marmaduke, this was his real name, not a nickname, Rowden, later became the military governor of Basinghouse, bringing with him a further 150 soldiers. So in November of 1643, this, one, this really was when we saw the first serious attack on the house, led by Sir William Waller. 500 foot soldiers and 500 cavalry marched from the Windsor Castle to Basinghouse. After the opening fire with mus musketeers, uh, Waller offered a parley, which was peace, if the Marquis agreed to surrender. This was rejected, and in response, a parliamentary attack was launched on November the 7th and was focused on the Grange, which was actually a large barn near the house used by the defenders as a stronghold. The Royalists were able to fire back through numerous thin slits in the barn's walls. But, however, sadly, the barn was not able to hold, and eventually uh, the Wallace forces were driven out. The Royalists... Re Royalists sorry retreated to the main house at the top of the hill where they hatched a devious plan uh, to retrieve the lost food provisions stored within the pre their previous base, the barn. In an impressive act of retaliation, Paulet and the rest of the defenders set off cannons aimed at the Grange, the scarring of which is still evident on the walls of the Grange today. After this attack, uh, and following the death of one of their leaders, Captain Clinson, the parliamentary group who had no choice but to give up the barn, Eventually, after nearly two weeks of attacking and increasing worse weather, Waller called off the siege and retreated with his troops to the nearby time town of Basingstoke. So for now, the time was basically a sort of a ceasefire at this point. Now, over the next couple of weeks and, and months, the house was attacked repeatedly from the parliamentary troops in the area. Uh, and eventually, after three years, we come to that final stage, was the final siege had to happen. And in 1645, it was conducted by Oliver Cromwell himself, the biggest bad guy of the Civil War. And this time, he made sure that there was more than enough men to finish the job. On the 14th of October, 1645, the defences of the old Norman ringwork were breached by cannon, which allowed Cromwell's men to then bombard the main gateway to the house and overrun the site. The troops in the house counterattacked with muskets and pikes, and one diarist at the time described the fight as... And I, I'm quoting here. Our men fell on, fell on with resolution and cheerfulness. Immediately, the dreadful battery began. The, the great guns discharged their choleric errand with great execution. Many wide breaches were made in an instant, and the besieged immediately marshaled themselves and stood like a new wall to defend them. Our men in full bodies and with great resolution came on. The dispute was long and sharp. The enemy deserved no quarter and believed that they had little offered to them. You must remember that what they were. They were the most of them papists, and therefore our muskets and our swords did show but little compassion. With undaunted courage, 
our men got over the works, entered the breaches, and possessed part of the new house and the court betwixt that and the old house. We lost but one man before we got within with their works, but took the new house after hot dispute. As the fighting dissolved into hand-to-hand combat, the Marquis of Winchester finally gave himself up. The attack, the attack itself was reported to have taken no more than an hour and was followed by a large amount of looting of valuable goods, including rich fabrics worn by John Paul's wife. And it's estimated that about 20,000 pounds at the time of uh, furniture, clothing, basically arms, food, uh, was found in the, in the property and, and taken by the parliamentarians. Uh, Colonel Dalbia set a fire to the building then, which killed the royalists and priests, uh, which he did have already imprisoned in the basement. So that's a little bit hectic there and, and horrific, actually. Finally, little remained of the once grand Tudor home, especially after Cromwell. Again, he was the bad guy at the time. And Parliament issued a decree that allowed the general population of Old Basing to take whatever they wished from the rubble, and soon barely a wall remained. Now, even right to this time, you can see homes in the area that are made up of the original stone and, and stuff like that from the old uh, old house. Uh, barely of it only survived, but they were still uh, being used throughout the whole time, uh, whole town, sorry. So, after three years of assault, it's believed that over 2,000 parliamentarians were killed, as well as a quarter of the royalist garrison. The Marquis, John Paulet, was arrested on the grounds of treason, but the charges were later dropped. So now I want to take a moment for an area's grey break. Like I said, I want to take a break here and talk a little bit about our new partnership uh, between the Cobar and Area's Grey website. Uh, I mentioned before, but a few months ago, I reached out to Gray, the creator of the site, because of his site. It's just amazing. Uh, it's a combination of travel blog for treasure hunters uh, that shares amazing information on real-life treasures, armchair treasure hunts. It has its own forum. And now, uh, because of our partnership, it also has a way to listen from the Live from the Code Bar podcast right from his site. Uh, this year, Gray will be launching an all-new treasure hunt himself called The Dead Man's Tale. And I cannot wait to have him on the podcast to talk about it when it's released. Uh, he's also working on lots of other uh, real-life treasure hunts. Um, too many to mention right off the bat, so definitely check out some of his uh, uh, wonderful blogs. So please go to www.areasgray.com, and that's gray with an E. So uh, A-R-E-A-S-G-R-E-Y.com, and read some of the amazing stories. And you might recognize uh, I am a guest writer. I do write on there as well. So follow Areas Grey also on Instagram at Areas Grey Treasure, Twitter, Areas Grey underscore, and again, those are both grey with a G-R-E-Y. And if you're on a Facebook, uh, please do not hesitate to join the Areas Grey Treasure Hunt community group. Uh, I'm a moderator there, and obviously I share a lot of information there as well. So all of which we'll include in the show notes of the podcast. Now, back to the story. Now, what you've probably been listening here and waiting for is the mystery of the Basing House treasure. So it's subs- the, the legend basically comes uh, subsequent to its dest- destruction. Uh, the legend grew uh, that the defeated Marquis left some three million pounds, which is almost four million dollars worth of gold somewhere in the home, hidden perhaps in the foundations, uh, usually particularly because Cromwell's demolition uh, pretty much got rid of the main house and everything like that. Um, Cromwell's demolition and search for his men failed to find this, this gold. At the end of the 18th century, the possibility of the story being true was revived when several gold coins of the appropriate time period were found 
during the digging of the nearby Basing, uh, Basingstoke Canal, which was routed right through the old house's ruins. The idea that the Civil War treasure might generally lie somewhere in the grounds has certainly been taken seriously by a lot of present-day descendants uh, of the Fifth Marquis, uh, as well as treasure hunters as well. And Mr. Christopher Ord Powett, uh, whose family continued to own the site up until the 20th century, uh, in 1963, uh, he did allow a metal detector survey on the home to be made in the area of the old chapel, but although this indicated the presence of actual buried metal, after weeks of digging, there was not much found. In fact, nothing was found. Uh, there was a couple of old musket bowls, of course, from the battle, stained glass, and ancient pottery. Uh, and then similarly, uh, in 1965, Frogman from the Royal Engineers uh, did explore the bottom of the 90-foot well uh, on the property that enabled the besieged to hold out for so long during the Civil War. But again, they pretty much found nothing. So that's just one story of treasure from the Basing House. Uh, but I was actually, with the help of Gray, uh, able to find another story. Uh, this one also involves a little bit different. This one involves more money, of course. It involves a life-size solid gold calf worth almost 10 million pounds. It's supposed to have been hidden again sometime during the Civil War of the attack the siege. Um, this story this time states that in an effort to trick Cromwell, the Marquis melted down his gold uh, instead of hiding it, and then the precious metal was then cast into a life-size statue of a calf, which was then splashed with ordinary paint and disguised instead to look like a cheap piece of garden sculpture. Now, I am going to quote a Mr. John Thornton here, um, who was a local treasure authority. Uh, he said that the gardens of these old castles were always covered with this type of statuary. So you can always see these sorts of things everywhere. There's sphinxes in places, um, you know, uh, stone stone uh, obelisks in places. So this sort of statuary and stuff like that was all over uh, these mansion houses and stuff like that. So it wouldn't always look out of place for something like this to be there. So he, again, this is Mr. John Thornton. Uh, he quoted, he's quoted saying, it was a clever gambit to trick the roundheads. So uh, intrigued by the vision of a solid gold calf, the British government, as mentioned in 1965, sent a, a team of divers to probe the well. And it actually determined that the, the, the well was actually of Roman period. Uh, frogmen from the Royal Engineers dived into the murky depths, as well as hauling up tons of old ballast and debris, but there was unfortunately no golden calf in the well. And so far, none of the statues or, or anything like that in the area have actually been determined to be a golden calf or gold, in fact, at all. Today, the Basing House is managed by the Hampshire uh, County Council, whose officials maintain a neutral opinion of the likelihood of any treasure. One difficulty in the treasure really being real is the fact that the Marquis, who I just mentioned before, uh, the fifth Marquis of Winchester, did manage to survive the war. And he, if he did genuinely hide a fortune in some secret place in, in the building, uh, he would surely have returned for it. At the time of his capture, uh, as I said to you before, all of, his, all of his estates were confiscated and he was sent to the Tower of London for high treason. Fifteen, la 15 years later, with the restoration of Charles II as the king in 1660, he was freed and what remained of his lands were restored to him. By then, the basing house was no more than rubble, so he spent the last few years of his life at Englefield, which is in Berkshire, a property that he acquired through his second marriage. However, it is very unlikely that he would not have sought out any secret cache of gold or a golden calf that he thought the parliamentaries might have, ha might have missed. Uh, he actually had more of a financial reason for this, uh, since due to the inefficiency of the time, he never actually received the £10,000 compensation he was owed 
for his lost estates, which Charles II's parliament awarded to him. So uh, are we on a quest for treasure at the basing house that never really existed? What has the old ground still have to yield up, especially with all the secrets as it's still not fully explored subterranean recesses and caves? I'll leave that up to you to find out. Maybe a listener has some more information. Maybe they have something to share, somebody that's been there. I'd love to hear it. So we now once again come to the end of another show. For all of the information that doesn't make it into the podcast, as well as links that I mentioned during the show, uh, please check out the show notes and please don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all with the handle at CodeBarLive, as well as follow Areas Grey like I mentioned before. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and please help the podcast grow. Uh, we are looking for these a lot now because uh, with, with more regular shows, we want more listeners. So please, if you haven't already, do jump on to Apple's, Apple Podcasts uh, and leave a rating and a review. It really does help. Um, I would love for you to do that. If you do, I'll give you a shout out. Let me know. Send it to me. Uh, message me on Facebook. I'll give you a shout out on the next podcast. Not a problem then. But until next time, everyone, keep digging. Keep digging.